1: Hi, this is Tom Laurie. I am your host today, and we're coming to you from Salem Network Studios in Northern California. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of The Mentors. We all need mentors along the way. They come from all walks of life, from all cultures, and from all stages of life. Good mentors are invaluable as they share their hard, won knowledge and wisdom about success at home, in their jobs, and most importantly, in life. This show is for everyone, regardless of where you are on your journey, as we can learn from everyone. We are all on a journey. I purposely seek out guest mentors who can be inspirational and provocative. Think about those who have been a big influence in your life. These have been your mentors. I hope you have reached out to them and told them how important they have been for you. Gratitude is one of the keys to a good, joy-filled life. Today, we're going to be talking with Whitney Johnson, who will be serving as our guest mentor. Whitney is recognized as one of the 50 leading business thinkers in the world. She has written a couple of books, her highly acclaimed Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work, which we're going to center on today. And her first book was Dare, Dream, and Do, which was subtitled, Remarkable Things Happen When You Dare to Dream. And she has a third book, In the Works, and we'll have her talk a little bit about that at the end of the show. She has co-founded the Disruptive Innovation Fund with Harvard Business School's Clayton Christensen. She's a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Viewer, Review. She's a LinkedIn influencer, and she hosts her own twice-monthly podcast called Disrupt Yourself. And you can follow her on Twitter at Johnson Whitney, that's Twitter, at Johnson Whitney. She's an expert on disruptive innovation and personal disruption. Welcome, Whitney. Thank you, Tom. I'm so happy to be here. Today we're going to talk with you about how you can put the power of disruption to work for yourself, and we'll cover some of the topics, maybe not all of them, uh, but they include taking the right risks, playing to your distinctive strengths, Embracing constraints, battle entitlement, which you name the innovation killer, step down, back, or sideways to grow, and I can talk about that with you uh, with personal experience, give failure its due, and be driven by discovery. But before we get into the subject matter for today, what is your story?
2: What is my story of disruption? Um, well, I think it, it starts right when I graduated from college. I had studied uh, music in college, and when I went to New York, because my husband was going to graduate school, and we needed to put food on the table, and I was the designated worker of the pair, um, I disrupted myself and did not do anything in music, but decided to go work on Wall Street. Um In that instance, I had to also disrupt myself because I couldn 't really get a job. Um, I was a music major, as I said, I had worked I was a woman, and so the best job I could get was working as a secretary for a retail broker, and so I started that. And after a few months I thought, wow, this is really exciting, like super exciting, and I really want to work on Wall Street, not just have like a job. And so I started taking all these business courses at night like accounting and finance, and that allowed me to have my boss say, you know what, I think I'm going to promote you to an investment banker. And for anybody who's worked on Wall Street, you know that that rarely happens with moving from secretary to investment banker. And so I was able to do that, and after several years, Um, I took a step back into equity research after there had been a merger. Um, I was sort of shoved into equity research. It turned out that was a career maker. Then I took another step back when I chose to leave Wall Street and left sort of the prestige and the financial comfort of that and chose to be an entrepreneur and within a couple of years, I connected with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School. And when he decided that he wanted to apply the framework of disruptive innovation to investing, he asked me if I would help him co-found that firm. Um, a few years later, five years later, actually, um, I decided to disrupt myself again and sold my stake in that firm because I'd had this big aha that the fundamental unit of disruption is not the a product or service or company or even country but it's the individual and so I really wanted to explore what does that look like and how do you build out or codify this process of personal disruption and how do you apply it to yourself um, and your career but how do you also apply the framework of disruption inside of an organization and so that's what I've been doing for the last five years um, I should note that we did have two children in there, and I think one of the most disruptive things anybody can ever do is to have a child. That's a really big step back um, um, of personal disruption, but obviously it's a great thing as well. So that's my story in a nutshell.
1: And you mentioned uh, Clayton, and for the yeah. audience, I'm sure many uh, people do or are aware of him and his great work. Why don't you Tell us a little bit about Clayton.
2: Yes. Okay. So Clayton Christensen, he's a professor at the Harvard Business School, and he came out with a book about 20 years ago now called The Innovator's Dilemma. And if you've ever heard the phrase disruptive innovation, he's the person who coined that term. And what disruptive innovation is at its simplest, and people kind of intuitively saw this happening, but it had never really been documented and talked about, which is when some little thing starts and then it takes over the world. Like you saw the telephone take over the telegraph and the light bulb take over the gas lamp and the automobile take over the horse and buggy. And then inside of corporations, we've seen things like um, uh, Toyota disrupting General Motors and Netflix disrupting Blockbuster um, and now Airbnb disrupting hotels. And so this is a framework. There's a framework that all these disruptors follow. And he really put this down on paper it was his doctoral thesis and um and came out as the innovator's dilemma and it has really become much of a of a bible for many innovators and entrepreneurs over the last uh, 20 years
1: and he also wrote what i think is one of the best books on healthcare called the innovator's prescription which uh, i know he took uh, several years to write with his co-author but for people who really want to understand how the healthcare system in this country can be changed to be more productive and provide a higher quality of care and also provide care at 30% less than what we're providing. I encourage you to take a look at that book. So don't go away, we're gonna take a quick break. We're talking with Whitney Johnson and when we come back we're gonna be talking about the S-curve and what you need to do to put the power of disruption to work for yourself. Ah, my health insurance
3: is killing me. Well, it was killing me, too. That's why I just switched to a non-insurance ministry. It only costs $320 per month for my family of seven, and it's even less for couples and singles. Wow. It's a solid organization, been around 17 years. We have the dependability of a proven method, but it's different. It's Christian-based, so we don't have to pay for non-Christian practices like abortions. Plus, we can choose our own doctors. What is it? Samaritan Ministries. SamaritanMinistries.org
0: That's easy to remember. SamaritanMinistries.org
4: Imagine waking up and walking just eight steps to your work. No commute, no traffic. You set your own hours, full time or part time, your choice. Supplement your income, replace your income. It's up to you. Openacan.com can help you get there. These aren't empty promises. When Catherine, a popular hairstylist back east, became ill and needed different work, she became part of the Hope and a Can team. Within two years, she not only regained her health, but also more than replaced her income. Mary, a nurse and mother of nine in the Midwest, quit nursing to be with her family and work from home. Her income put nine children through college. A near-retirement dentist is happily building a post-retirement business. What are your goals? Call now toll-free to learn more. 855-921-HOPE. That's 855-921-HOPE. Or go to HopeInACan.com. That's HopeInACan.com. HopeInACan.com.
5: Because you're active in your church, you may have wondered, how can we maintain the quality of our stained glass windows? What is their value? What would repairs cost? You can get a no-cost analysis of your church's stained glass windows at willithauser.com. To help you make the best decisions for restoration or new windows. A free inspection and evaluation of your church's windows by the Willethauser Artisans can answer your questions over 120 years of stained glass design and
0: restoration experience. Willetthauser.com. And now back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs
1: challenge your thinking about life and business. This is Tom Laurie and we're back again with Whitney Johnson and we've been discussing Disrupt Yourself, her best-selling book, and are talking about how you can put the power of disruption to work for yourself. Whitney, as we talk about putting the power of disruption to work, tell us a little bit about what the S-curve is and how it's used first in business and then how does it translate to individuals? Oh.
2: At the Fund, at the Disruptive Innovation Fund, we used the S-curve that was popularized by Ian Rogers in 1962, so over 50 years ago, to help people figure out how an innovation would be adopted, sort of over what what that pattern would look like. And so if you can imagine an S-curve in your mind, what it does is it tells you that when an, an innovation first comes on the market and you're at that base of that S it's going you're you're going to feel like you're doing a lot to get people to buy your product and very little is happening and then at some point usually it, 10 to 15% penetration of the market, you hit this inflection point where you go up the sleek, steep back of that S, and that's where everything is working. Um, you, you know, you do uh, things um, sell really, really quickly. The adoption's happening really quickly. There's exponential growth, and then at the top of that S, you hit a base again, which is 90% um, penetration of the market, or what they call saturation. The growth tapers off. And so, what we discovered in using this S-curve is that it could help us understand, obviously, how quickly an innovation would be adopted, but the big aha that I had was that the S-curve could also help us understand the psychology of disruption or the psychology of learning something new. So, again, if you picture that S in your mind, at the outset of trying something new, whether it's a new role, a new assignment, a new job, anything new, it's going to tell you that you're going to work really hard over the f- first early on and it will feel like absolutely nothing is happening. So you've got you know, time on the x-axis ax- and then output on the y-axis. And then as you put in those days and weeks of months of practice, you're going to accelerate into competence or that sleek part of the S. And with that is going to come competence. And then as you approach the top of the S, growth is going to again slow Um, Things will be very easy as you've reached that mastery, but because they're so easy and you're no longer enjoying learning, you can actually get bored. And so once you get to that top of that S-curve, if you don't jump to the bottom of a new S-curve, your plateau becomes a precipice. So it's basically the innovator's dilemma because just like with innovation, if you innovate or not, you lose. products and services, whether you jump to an S curve or not as an individual, it's going to be scary. And so you have to decide, are you going to stay there and potentially get pushed off the S or are you going to jump of your own accord knowing it's going to be scary, but knowing that you'll also have more control over the outcome if you choose when you jump and to what new S or learning curve you jump.
1: So this would apply internally in a company when you get a promotion. It would apply if you leave the company for a new job in another company in your industry, and it would apply to if you jump to a new industry. Is that right?
2: That's right. It applies in all the circumstances. That's one of the... the. It, great pieces of this framework is that it is broadly applicable across um, for an individual, for a company, um, inside your organization, outside your organization, um, and then, again, for products and services and companies as well.
1: So I think somewhere along the line I shared with you that I uh, help run a ministry in our parish for people that have lost their jobs. Yes, you did. And this book you've written... Disrupt Yourself is one of the key components that we urge those people who come through our doors to read Mm -hmm. so they can think about making that jump or what I think you use the term somewhere in the book about catching the new wave. Um, And what I've learned, and we get a lot of people in their, oh, could be 30s, 40s, 50s, and even 60s, a lot of people do get stuck a lot of people don't make a jump. A lot of people kind of stay with it until the world that they are working in falls apart and they find herself in our ministry. And we've uh, seen this. We've worked with over 6,000 people since the dot-com crash. Uh, Maybe you have some examples uh, as well of some people that have successfully made this transition?
2: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Um, Before before I go there, I I think that... I've thought a lot about this, this idea of what happens when a person, you know, loses their job, either they're fired or laid off. And this notion, you know, doing research, and you obviously know this very well, is that 10 to 15 percent of the labor force loses their job or gets laid off every year in the United States. So, the probability that people are going to lose a job at some point in their career—it's—it's it, it, there's a decent probability there, and um, and one of the things—and I've had people say to me, but there were politics involved, and for me, the notion that there are politics just means that you were. Playing or trying to do something that you know where other people were playing, and this goes to market risk that we 'll talk about in just a minute, but the people were bigger than you were, and so it 's pretty hard for you to play on an s curve when there 's you know a bouncer standing at the door and one of the things that I often find when people get fired and, and i 've been fired as well is that people knew it was time to jump to an s- new s curve like deep in their gut, they knew, but they wouldn 't do it, and so the universe at some level you know, gave them a nudge and was like, okay, it's time for you to go do something new, and you wouldn't go, so I'm going to make sure you go because it's an imperative for you to continue, you know, moving, going from, um, you know, stuck to unstuck. Um, so, so anyway, so you asked me the question, um, can I think of some good examples? I think one great example of a person um, deciding to... Do you want someone who was pushed or someone who chose? <laughs> Let's start there. Let's start
1: with a push. I think what okay. I see a lot of people that are pushed.
2: Yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly. So, you know, one example of a of a person who was pushed, um, I, I actually wrote about her in the last book that I wrote. Her name is Elon Cherry. She was Actually, you know what? I'm not going to use that. I'm going to use a bigger example that mo- more people know, is Sally Kraczek. Sally Kraczek is um, the founder of a company called Elvest, which is helping, you know, women figure out how to invest. And they just received another, I think, $14 million in funding. But she, before that, she was um, a very, very senior executive at Merrill Lynch Bank of America. And she's actually been fired twice. Um, But the most recent firing, she just said, okay, you know what, I, I guess I'm not supposed to be inside of this large corporation anymore. Let me figure out what I'm really supposed to do. And she has since gone on to write a book called Own It. She bought... Um, a network called 85 Broads, which is now the Elevate network for professional women. She's launched this company called Elvis, which helps women invest. And so this is a great example of a person who was pushed off the S-curve and has found uh, really what I think she would call now her life's work, but she had to be pushed off the curve. I don't know that she would have jumped on her own.
1: Yeah, and I think what you're getting at, too, is that we, uh, if we're aware of what curve we're on, and if we're certainly bored, it's certainly a wake-up call that we ought to be evaluating what we ought to be doing so we're not pushed, but we can make a choice. That's but, right. But That's I, but it, it's right. been my experience that I've mostly seen people uh, uh, make uh, – they have to be pushed first. Uh, so what – You know – Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, well, no.
2: I was just, just going to say I think there's a good reason for that because if you – you know, most people, we we kind of have in the, certainly in the American psyche, this idea, people are going to go skydive, and they're going to go, you know, do all these exciting things, but most people aren't really bungee jumping kind of people or skydiving kind of people, and so when we try to motivate ourselves to go, you know, jump to a new S curve that way, it doesn't really work. And I find that it's actually more helpful when people know that they need to jump is to... Focus on what they'll lose if they stay where they are. So go much more, you know, prevention-focused of here are all the things that you're going to lose if you don't jump to a new S-curve. And I find that that is much more helpful. And I'll, I'll give you, like, a simple example, but I think it's still very relevant, is, you know, a few years ago, I was I had to give a speech, and I didn't really prepare, and it didn't go that well. And in my mind, I was like, it's going to be really good. And after it happened, my husband said, why do you do that? You should just tell yourself, this is how bad it's going to be, and here's how bad I'm going to feel if I bomb, and then you'll prepare. And I think it's true also for us in the, you know, jumping to an S-curve with our professional life is we, if we tell ourselves, if I stay here, I might get fired. If I stay here, I might get bored. If I stay here, then I think people would be more likely to galvanize and get themselves to move and, and try something new.
1: Great stuff. A lot more to cover here. We're going to take a break and we're talking with Whitney Johnson and we're going to come back and talk about some of these elements when you jump the S curve that you need to be mindful of. Hello,
6: I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of My Pillow, And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap, even though I slept eight hours. When I invented My Pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed; it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever: My Pillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special,
4: plus free shipping. Go to mypillow.com or call one eight hundred eight nine zero six six three two. 1 800 890 6632 and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay, order now.
7: All Catholics are invited to join the Young Catholic Professionals, YCP for short, National Movement. One of the nation's fastest growing Catholic organizations, with chapters in 15 cities nationwide and international interest, YCP was founded by peers to inspire young professionals to work in witness for Christ. YCP's programs are designed to help young people at every stage of the journey to grow as Catholics and as professionals. Our members use their experience to become ambassadors of the faith in the public square, forming tomorrow's leaders to step forward in their communities, parishes, and workplaces. There's an opportunity for Catholics of all ages to get involved. Visit our website, youngcatholicprofessionals.org youngcatholicprofessionals.org to learn more about how you can get involved in this exciting apostolate that's youngcatholicprofessionals.org youngcatholicprofessionals.org
3: attention salespeople are you struggling trying to make sales on a daily basis so you can earn more money and enjoy a better lifestyle are you sick and tired of prospects telling you they want to think about it and not being able to pay your bills End all that now by going to www.MinutesToSales.com and sign up for my free webinar. Hello, I'm Jeff Modder and I regularly hear from salespeople and business owners who are struggling to get more sales because they don't know how to sell in a clear and convincing way. And that was me when I started out in sales more than 35 years ago. I knew I had a great product that made people's lives better, but for some reason, I just didn't know how to tell people about it in a clear and convincing way. I couldn't even close the door, so to speak but all that changed when I cracked the code. Since then I've helped hundreds of people to understand the process and be able to sell at will. If you'd like to start making more sales immediately, sign up for my free webinar at www.MinutesToSales.com where you can experience for yourself my simple, amazing process and see how it instantly improves your sales ability. Go to www.MinutesToSales.com today and sign up for my free webinar. Talk to you soon.
0: And now, Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to The Mentors. Today, our guest mentor is Whitney Johnson. You can call us anytime at 844-610-TALK. Our lines are open 24-7, and we listen to all our messages, and we'll answer your messages on air. The number again is 844-610-TALK. Whitney, one of the things when you were in the last segment talking about this, uh, let's call it some resistance to going uh, to making a choice and uh, they have to be pushed off the curve into something else. You bring to mind uh, somebody that called me uh, out of L.A. who had been a senior consul at major production houses in L.A. and he was uh, 51 at the time. And he had uh, taken a flyer and gotten involved with a startup production company. And he called me because that didn't work out. The company um, didn't get enough cash and, you know, how that goes with startups. Mm -hmm. Uh, No different. But I asked him in that conversation, uh, what did he really want to do? Mm -hmm. And he said he really wanted to be a writer. And he had been a lawyer. And he said he never wanted to be a lawyer. And he became a writer because – or a lawyer because that's what his parents really wanted him to do. But the interesting thing was as we talked through – the environment, content, in the entertainment, and particularly in the media, video, TV world, uh, movies, and all that, content's everything, and he wanted to be a screenwriter. I mean, here's a guy, and now he's moving in that direction, but here's a guy that has, and you think about the base of stories he has working in the uh, movie industry for so many years. He had a lot of material to draw on, but he needed to be pushed. Yep. And I think People, yeah. and a lot of it is that, that uh, as you talk a great deal about in your book, is that when you get on a new curve, it's hard work. I mean, you have yeah. to do a lot of learning, but. You do. So one of the keys is learning to learn, uh, and as we grow through our careers, is learning to learn. But you talk about the seven levels you need to master, and one of them is taking the right risks. And. I guess a key, a question is how do you discern them how do you How do you discern whether it's the right risk or not whether it's the right risk
2: yeah so um, so the way I think about it is there are two basic kinds of risks in this context there's competitive risk and there's market risk and so we could talk about this at a company, but we'll talk about the individual level right now so competitive risk would be you say to yourself there's this huge opportunity. Um, there's this job posting on LinkedIn or inside of my company, and you have to figure out if compared to the 10, 20, 50 other people who are applying for that job, you can compete and win. And, you know, many people are very good at competing and winning. They've gotten ahead in life at competing and winning many, many times, and so in this particular instance, it may work. Um, but, But they have to figure that out and assess whether they can or not. Now, the way you could take on market risk, and the reason the market risk is so important is that the odds of success when you take on market risk are six times higher and the revenue opportunity 20 times greater according to the theory of disruption that was outlined in the innovator's dilemma. Now, what is market risk? Market risk, and I alluded to this a minute ago, is where you play where no one else is playing. So, for example, there's no job posting. Um, But there's a problem that you've identified needs to be solved either inside your organization or outside of your organization. And so you don't know if you can create that position or create that market, but if you're able to create it and persuade people that, that that needs to happen, guess who's going to get the job? it's probably going to be you because you created that position. Now, do you want me to give you a quick example that I think
1: really illustrates this beautifully? Sure, absolutely.
2: Okay, so a young woman by the name of Sarah Feingold She was um, a jewelry maker, and she'd also gone to law school. So she loved jewelry, and she loved the law. Well, um, she was selling her jewelry on Etsy, and this is one early, early days, like over 10 years ago, and she started looking around on the website and saw that what they had written from a legal perspective wasn't very robust. And so she calls up the company and says, hey, you know, it looks like this could use some work. She wasn't really getting much, you know, much response, and she said, "Hey, let me talk to your CEO." So at this point, they're like 15 employees. She gets on the phone with the CEO, and she's like, "You know, I really think you need legal counsel." And she goes, "You know what? I'm going to get on a plane." So she gets, she books a flight to JetBlue. She goes down to New York. She has a conversation with the CEO of Etsy and um, says, you need a general counsel, you need it to be me, and she became the 17th employee at Etsy. This is a perfect example where she didn't wait to apply for 50 other people who wanted to be general counsel at Etsy. She found a need that she could solve, and she was willing to do the work to persuade them that they needed to solve it, and she was the right person to do it. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to market risk. And I think, especially for people who are mid career, this is a perfect solution, um, even more so when you're early in your career and you're trying to figure out what's next for you. Well,
1: that's a great story, and what you made me uh, think about or reflect on being here in Silicon Valley. I've seen many different industries emerge out of Silicon Valley. And imagine if, and I and I agree with the mid-career uh, because you have some experience and you have some skills that you can transfer. Imagine if you were an early employee at Google or if you were an early employee at, uh, at Amazon up in right. uh, uh, Seattle. And what I uh, tell people, and this is based on your book, is that if you get into one of these growth areas early, or let's say digital uh, health, which is a big area, you get in early, right. you get established. There aren't a lot of people in that business, in that segment, in that domain early on. And as the wave takes off, people are looking for people, not only with your skills, but with the experience. And all of a sudden, you become uh, a precious uh, individual because there aren't many of you around. That's right. And that's
2: where the odds of success, you know, being six times higher and the revenue opportunity 20 times greater. When you create the market, you are the market. And it's, like you said, you become very, very valuable.
1: Now, you also, as part of your seven levels that you need to master, you talk about playing to your distinctive strengths. And on an earlier show, we had Joe Kavanaugh from uh, Gallup talk about StrengthsFinder Mm. 2.0. What what do you uh, use and what do you recommend to people in terms of making this, uh, discerning what those strengths are that they should be playing to?
2: Well, first of all, I love StrengthsFinder, so I think that's, you know, sort of a great for everybody to use. Um, I also ask people a few questions, um, things like what exasperates you? Um, I think sometimes we uh, find that when we can look at what frustrates us and looks like just common sense to us, we are identifying a strength that we have. I also encourage people to listen to the compliments that they get we tend to become so dismissive of compliments. we deflect them, it's uncomfortable for us. Or if they're compliments that we've heard a lot, we just kind of like, ah, no big deal. And yet those compliments, again, are pointing us to strengths that we have. Um, And the thing that I really try to encourage people to do is not only look at look at their strengths, but be willing to deploy them in a context where other people don't have that strength, like the koala. So the koala, um, you know, it sleeps 20 hours a day. Um, One could think, well, how could it even survive when it sleeps 20 hours a day? But it, it has a distinctive strength, which is it eats eucalyptus leaves, which are poisonous to pretty much every other animal and human on the planet. And so it becomes its distinctive strength. And so if as you're out in the marketplace, you can figure out not only what your strengths are... Also be willing to use them because sometimes what we do best is so reflexive, we don't value it. So you've got to value your strengths. So another way that you can figure out what your strengths are is to listen to compliments um, that you get, which we tend to deflect um, and or we've heard them so many times we dismiss them. And we tend to just not value them because it's something that comes so easily for us and so reflexive. What I found is that when you are willing to acknowledge what you do well, when you're willing to own it, because we tend to undervalue what we are and overvalue what we are not, you combine your strengths, you put yourself into a context where it's distinctive, meaning other people around you don't um, have that strength, like a marketer in a room of coders is much more valuable than a marketer in a room of 19 other marketers, Um, then you've got this fantastic flywheel effect of being able to combine your strengths and play where other people aren't playing, and you're able to move up that S-curve or that learning curve much more quickly and much more successfully.
1: Great. We're going to continue with this discussion with Whitney Johnson, who's recognized as one of the 50 leading business thinkers in the world after the break.
8: In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration. And a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to catholictextbookproject.com to find out why. This is a church,
5: a church that might be like yours, with beautiful stained-glass windows. Through the years, time and weather took their toll, so the people in this church went online and found Willett Hauser Architectural Glass. Willet did a free inspection and evaluation of the church's windows. Then their craftsmen, with over 120 years of stained glass design and restoration experience brought the church's stained glass windows back to life.
3: WilletHauser.com Ah, my health insurance is killing me. Well, it was killing me, too. That's why I just switched to a non-insurance ministry. It only costs $320 per month for my family of seven, and it's even less for couples and singles. Wow. It's a solid organization, been around 17 years. We have the dependability of a proven method, but it's different. It's Christian-based, so we don't have to pay for non-Christian practices like abortions. Plus, we can choose our own doctors. What is it? Samaritan Ministries. SamaritanMinistries.org That's easy to remember.
0: SamaritanMinistries.org SamaritanMinistries.org And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your
1: thinking about life and business. Hey, this is Tom Laurie. If you've just tuned in, you can listen to the entire show and previous shows by going to TheMentorsRadio.com. TheMentorsRadio.com. Today, we're talking with Whitney Johnson, who's serving as our guest mentor. She's the author of Disrupt Yourself. And we're talking about how you can put the power of disruption to work for yourself in your life and career. When we were, uh, just before the segment, we were talking about discerning strengths. There was one I loved uh, that uh, you use also as a question, and that is, what made you different as a child?
2: Mm. Yeah, Yeah, I love that because I think so often the thing that made you different as a child brings a lot of shame and embarrassment, and so as you grow up, you try to like, like dismiss that and pretend like it never existed because you figured out a way to mainstream yourself, and yet that so often is truly your superpower, and you know a great story around that I think is is a fellow by the name of Scott Edinger and and a friend of mine who, as, um. Actually, you know what? I don't want to use Scott Editor. I, I want to use... Sorry. Um, you know what? I'll use him anyway, because now that people are going to be like, what's the story? So what made him an oddball and uncomfortable as a child is that he was in a situation that was really, really tough. Like he... Um, his, his parents, you know, they were on welfare. He lived on the other side of the tracks. And, he, you know, he's eight years old. He gets given up for adoption. And they're still living on the other side of the tracks. And so he's really... You know, struggling to kind of fit in and in that struggle to fit in, he figures out how to be a really good communicator because he's got to find people who are willing to take care of him. And, um, and that was, you know, such a, such a source of discomfort, um, for him growing up. And yet when he gets into college, he is able to get a scholarship for debate and place top three in like a hundred different debate tournaments. And now as an adult, this thing that was so difficult for him is something that, um, he uses very, very successfully and is a very, very good salesperson and has, been a top salesperson in Fortune 500 companies as well as now consults with companies and individuals on how to sell, all from this thing that happened that made him an oddball and uncomfortable as a child.
1: What made you different as a child? <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> one thing that, I, that really stands out for me is that I, <laughs> so I remember when I was eight years old, I was. I was reading the biography of Lawrence Welk. Now, a lot of people who are listening to this will not know who Lawrence Welk is, but Lawrence Welk was, um, he ran a big band, and... um, and I just was fascinated, but he was considered an old fogey when I was a child. So like he was popular in like the 40s and 50s. And I remember reading his biography and taking it to school, and it was sitting on my desk when I'm like in fourth grade, just you know eating it up. And people thought I was so weird that I was reading that biography. And I think one of the things that made me different was this interest in things that weren't necessarily popular or what other people listened to. And I find Now, as an adult, something that's really helpful to me, and I think you might see it in my writing, is that I tend to pull ideas from a lot of different sources, and I think that having that eclectic source is what makes my ideas and my thinking more interesting for a lot of different people, but as a child, it made me kind of odd.
1: So that, I think, was a great story, and uh, I think you should consider writing a book where you, take, where, you, where you take famous people, people that are successful in various walks of life, and the, the book is called, What Made Me Different as a Child. Oh, I go. like it. There you go. Okay, moving on, because we're going to run out of time <laughs> I'm here. I'm you I, the acknowledgments. <laughs> uh, I will, uh, uh, we're going to move on. we're going to have to go a little bit quicker on some of these. Although this, uh, okay. So the first one, and go quick on it, is Embrace Constraints.
2: Yeah, that one's an easy one. Uh, this is the notion that we tend to think: if only I had enough money, if only I had enough time, if only I had more education, that I could be successful. But the fact is, is that if you take a look at something like Jaws, the famous, famous movie, the most famous scenes in that film came about because the shark, the mechanical shark that Steven Spielberg wanted to use, it didn't work. So it was over budget, behind schedule. He shoots the scenes from the shark's point of view, lets the music, which we can all sing in our head, and the imagination do the rest. So the idea with constraints is we think... Our constraints actually are not what's holding us back, but in fact are what are going to make us successful. And so, as you're thinking about making a jump, instead of saying I don't have enough money, say, okay, I don't have money. So how is how am I going to turn that into a tool of creation and making this jump that I want to make?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very important one because the constraints are which uh, are the what force you to dig down deep inside yourself, and you find out things you don't even know about yourself. So. And that's that's right. a great source of creativity. Uh, battle entitlement.
2: Yeah, so this is the belief that I exist, therefore, I deserve. and every single person on this planet is entitled in one way or another. I think the way it is especially rears its head in this particular context is that when you're um, wanting to try something new or you're trying to jump to a new S curve and changing your career, There's a sense of, well, my accomplishments should just stand on their own and not necessarily wanting or feeling like we should do the work to try to get people to understand why what we know how to do fits into what they want to do. So we need to remember that when we're jumping to an S-curve, we're asking the other people to jump to an S-curve and we have to de-risk it for them. And so the battling entitlement comes in the form of being willing to tell our story in a way that will resonate with the person who's sitting on the other side of the table. And that sounds so obvious, but we tend to be kind of reluctant to do it and sort of think, I'm brilliant, therefore they should get it, and not recognizing that we need to figure out how to describe our brilliance in a language that the people who would look to hire us or fund our businesses can understand and appreciate.
1: That was uh, the fourth one. Correct. And I'll, I'll talk about the fifth, and you can comment on that, then we're going to go to failure. But on the fifth one, it's called Step Down back or sideways to grow. And there has been several times in my career where I've stepped down, stepped back, and stepped sideways to gain new experiences. And it has, to me, it was a matter of gaining experience. So I did some things that were really out of the ordinary uh, to take jobs that other people kind of, you know, as a president of a company, I stepped down and did something else. But I think the uh, the point there, at least for me, is that it really gives you new experiences and it also forces you to go through this uh, period of learning and you end up with a uh, tapestry of experiences that are extremely valuable downstream. you want to make a quick comment and then we're going to go to break?
2: Yeah, I will just, the capstone on that would be is that sideways or backwards can be a slingshot and so that personal disruption by definition involves stepping backwards sideways but if you go to the right place,
1: it can propel you forward. Agreed. Great. We're going to go take a break, and we'll be back very quickly to talk with Whitney Johnson and finish up our day on Disrupting Yourself.
4: I had like memory foams, I had feather pillows, and I'd always wake up with neck pain. After sleeping on my pillow, I didn't wake up with the headaches, I was more aligned.
1: I didn't realize the connection between the pillow and sleep. When I switched to my pillow, I got a better night's sleep, and I loved it.
6: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs and it holds that support all night long to take the pressure off your shoulders and keep your neck aligned so you get the best night's sleep of your life.
1: My
4: Pillow is machine washable and dryable and comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and an
2: amazing 10-year warranty. Plus, every MyPillow is made in the USA.
6: I personally guarantee that MyPillow will be the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. MyPillow is now
4: offering 50% off their four-pack special, plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-890-6632 and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off, plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now.
8: In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to catholictextbookproject.com to find out why.
4: Imagine waking up and walking just eight steps to your work. No commute, no traffic. You set your own hours, full-time or part-time. Your choice. Supplement your income, replace your income. It's up to you. HopeInACan.com can help you get there. These aren't empty promises. When Katherine, a popular hairstylist back east, became ill and needed different work, she became part of the Hope in a can team. Within two years, she not only regained her health, but also more than replaced her income. Mary, a nurse and mother of nine in the Midwest, quit nursing to be with her family and work from home. Her income put nine children through college. A near-retirement dentist is happily building a post-retirement business. What are your goals? Call now toll free to learn more 855 921 hope That's 855 921 hope or go to hopeinacan.com That's hopeinacan.com
0: hopeinacan.com And now back to the mentors where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business
1: This is Tom Laurie. We're talking with Whitney Johnson, who is the author of Disrupt Yourself and and Dare, Dream, and Do. And she's got a third book coming out either this year, I think late this year or next year. Uh, We were talking about the five, the seven things you need to do to become a master in disrupting yourself so you can live the life you were intended to live and have uh, all the experiences that you need to uh, propel you forward like a slingshot with a career in life. And we want to now, Whitney, go to uh, number six. Give failure its due. Yeah. So,
2: as I as I mentioned a moment ago, the up and the down are part of personal disruption, and so there it means that there is going to be failure. And I think the the point on giving failure its due is twofold. Well, actually, I'll just focus on one, which is. Almost every person who's listening to this, in fact, I would argue every person, if you ask them their greatest accomplishments, they would tell you that it was made possible in part by something that they learned from a failure or a big mistake or a big setback. And so on failure, I would say that we need to acknowledge it. We need to grieve when it happens. We need then to ditch the shame because shame limits disruption, not failure. And then and then, um, re- decide whether we're going to see the failure as... Um, or see an experience as a failure or success. And I think ultimately if we'll say, what did I learn? How did this allow me to move forward? Ditch the shame, give failure it's due, but to success is is what we need to do when we're trying to disrupt. It's hard, but that's how, how it's important to approach it that way.
1: And there's a good book out there. It's many, I don't know, maybe a decade old, 15 years, called I've Been Fired. And it's a story of many famous people Uh, who were going down one road, got fired, and they changed direction. And it's a a good read for anybody that goes through that and is confused. It's really a path to success if you make it that. So I I think that's a great thought. Number seven, our last uh, thing to master, is being driven by discovery.
2: Yeah, so this is the idea of when you're a disruptor, um, you're and you're taking on market risk and you're playing where no one else is playing. That means you don't know where you're going, and so it's really important to be willing to take a step forward, to gather feedback, and adapt. And I think I think what's interesting this example you mentioned this man earlier, who was a lawyer and he went to a startup. And he thought the startup was where he was going, but in fact, he got that feedback and then he adapted and now he's going to become a screenwriter. And I think with our careers, we're going to take a step forward, we're going to test something, it may work, it may not, and then we adapt, knowing that no S-curve that we're ever on is wasted. And so it's really the idea of at the top of the curve, the bottom of the curve, be willing to deal with ambiguity because that's what's going to allow us to, you know, to be successful um, as a disruptor.
1: That's a great point and a great way to finish that part of the uh, discussion. Tell me a little bit about who you mentor.
2: You know that is such a great question. I uh, so I, because I find that sometimes I don't know who I mentor because I think when you're mentoring well, you're not even necessarily realizing that you're doing it. Kind of back to the strengths; it's something that does is reflexive. Fortunately, you gave me a heads up that you were going to ask me this question. So. Um, I am going to be mentoring some MBA students at Dartmouth Tuck this next year. Um, I am frequently mentoring people who um, come to me and have Well, actually, I mentored some young women last week where I spoke at my alma mater and spoke to the women in business there. And afterward, when women came up and talked to me and asked me questions, I spoke to them then. And I think that there are ways to mentor on sort of a one-off basis, which is really important. And then over time, when people um, reach out and have questions, I like to answer those questions and I probably mentor people even sometimes more than they want to be because I find that when I'm on a one-on-one conversation, I'll ask them what their dreams are, and if they stick around me too long, I end up trying to give them a dare and how they're going to accomplish that dream and then ask them to follow up and tell me if they, in fact, did the thing that they said they were going to do if you listen to my podcast. So it's something that I do fairly habitually, but I will say it is hard to kind of answer that question because it feels a little bit self-aggrandizing for me to say, here are all the people that I mentor, but I think I do it fairly fairly frequently.
1: Wow. It's hard to believe we've run out of time. I would have loved to do another hour. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Whitney Johnson, author of Disrupt Yourself, and sharing with us a number of ways on how we can disrupt our life for our good. We've been listening to The Mentors. Join us next week and at this time for the next edition of The Mentors or listen to us on TheMentorsRadio.com. You can listen to our guest, Whitney Johnson, on her twice-monthly podcast, Disrupt Yourself. I am Tom Laurie, urging you to be all that you can be and to keep the candle lit for those who struggle in the darkness.
0: It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.